0: CHAPTER Eight, CLEANLINESS OF BODY AND MIND If we interview many of life's failures, we will find that the overwhelming majority went down because of their neglect to get out of an environment that was not stimulating and because their ambitions had grown rusty and inefficient to cope with depressing circumstances. The prisons and other institutions are filled with people who did not make any attempt to get away from the vicious surroundings in which they lived. They were like tadpoles that had never grown to frogs. They just kept swimming around in their muddy puddles, and, not having grown legs with which they could leap out onto the banks and away to other climes, they continued to swim in monotonous circles until they died. In other words, the failure is a man who dwells in muddy atmosphere all his days, who is content to remain a tadpole, and who never attempts to take advantage of any opportunity he becomes unclean, so to speak. And that is what we mean by this chapter heading Cleanliness of Body and Mind. It was not intended to point out the proper way to keep our faces and hands clean, or as a sermon, but rather to show ourselves that the clean body begets the clean mind, the two together constituting compelling tendencies toward the clean spirit. A move in the direction of these takes us out of the rut of life. No matter what cause we dig up with which to explain our success in life, we cannot neglect this one important one, the careful selection of our acquaintances. And this doesn't mean that one must be a stop. Far from it. It only means that the successful man, the man who wishes to rise in life, should not spend his days in the company of illiterate companions who do not possess ambition of heart or the will to do the work of the world. It means that life is too short to hang around the loafing-places with the driftwood of humanity, listening to their stories of failure, and drinking in with liquor some of their bitterness against those who have toiled and won the fruits of their toil. It means that we will not go out of our way to seek the friendship of men and women who are simply endeavoring to gain happiness in life without paying for it. It means that we will do all in our power to win friends who aspire nobly and by so doing inspire those with whom they come in contact. Such men are naturally clean of mind and body. We must remember always to live in a world of clear thought that will stimulate our ambitions. Dwelling in the dark corners of life and traveling with the debris of humanity will not arouse us to action and give us that swinging vigor of heart and mind so necessary to the accomplishment of great things. While we will ever lend the helping hand to those who need it, we will naturally associate with those who have vim and courage. We will not be dragged down by our associates. Until we meet the right kind we will hold aloof, and we will not be morose and gloomy because it happens that, at this moment, our acquaintanceship does not include these successes. When we have succeeded in doing something big they will come to us and if we think big things we are likely to do them. It is all a matter of the will to do. Nothing succeeds like success," said some very wise man, and if there ever was a phrase that rang with truth, this does. It means that the thought of success, the courage that comes with success, leads to more and more success. It means that the thinker of these thoughts is living in a clean, wholesome atmosphere, along with those who are determined and in earnest. It means that they have caught the fervor of true life, a healthy contagious fervor which permeates the blood swiftly once it gets a hold, and like electricity it vivifies and stirs the spirit with renewed energy day after day, year after year. Once it wins us, it will stick with us. The success of those about us will shake our lethargic limbs and stimulate us to a desire to do as they do. We will be in a world of clean thought and action, and our lives will mirror their lives, our thoughts will be filled with wholesome things and with good health. We will win in spite of all obstacles. Cleanliness is the morale of the body and the mind. The man who is careful of his linen and who does not neglect his morning plunge is not apt to be gloomy and morose. We noticed him in the car or on the street in the morning. He comes striding along, fresh and full of the zest of living. His mind is clear and unclouded. His eyes are full of that vigorous light of conscientious desire to win and do so honestly. He has none of the hypocritical elements in his nature strong enough to rule him. There may be, and probably are, many weaknesses in his character. His very strength consists in his ability to crush them and make them his slaves. The man who has taken his morning plunge and dressed himself agreeable to comfort and grace has his battles of the day won in advance. He knows the value of keeping himself in trim. He does it for the sake of his own feelings. Our approval of his appearance goes without saying. If a man thinks well of himself in matters of appearance, his general deportment is likely to coincide. Such men never overdo. They are at ease with themselves and thus impart ease to others who come in contact with them. They have, in other words, a distinction of their own and their distinction is their power. They know that the highest moral law of nature is that of cleanliness, that filthiness should not be allowed to dominate any man's ethics or physical condition. They rule such things out of their lives. A vast magnetic force comes out of those friends of ours who are doing things and making the world sit up and take notice. The mere fact that we live near to them, know them, and associate with them is proof positive that we, too, shall go through life with clean minds and bodies. They would not tolerate us if we were to slip into shoddy ways. Nothing is revealed quicker to our intimates than the losing of ambition, the slipping into careless habits. We cannot conceal it from them. We fool only those who brush by. The loss of this self-respect has a terrible effect upon the system, and every tendency toward success is thereby stunted and weakened. We have fallen into unclean ways. It would not be long before we sink to the bottom, or else remain among the vast crowd who have neither the courage to fall nor the courage to rise. Nothing produces failure quicker." than filthiness of mind and body. Those who are successful keep away from the very thought of such a condition. They live as much as possible in the open. They take morning and evening exercises, they read good books, attend good plays, and are continually in touch with the finer developments of thought and art in the world. Their faces are open and full of sunlight, they are determined that life will not beat them in a game that only requires sureness of aim and the ability to take advantage of the thousand and one opportunities that surround them on every side. Cleanliness stands paramount in its importance to success. Perhaps no other one thing has so vital a hold upon the individual who succeeds. The general of an army first looks to the morale of his troops. He knows that with clean minds and bodies His soldiers are capable of doing big things. The battleship, that efficient and highly developed instrument of war, is so immaculate that one could eat his meals on its very decks. Its officers are wholesome, athletic fellows, its crew consists of hardy men who live sanely and vigorously and who have plenty to occupy their minds. And if cleanliness is fundamental in their case, why not in our own? When we come to analyze ourselves we find that we are like a great institution of some kind. Here is the brain, the heart, the lungs, the stomach, the nerves, and the muscles. Each department acts separately, and yet is connected absolutely with all the others. The entire system is under one supreme department, the mind. Now, if this ruling department is kept clean and full of kindly, beautiful thoughts, Does it not seem natural that the rest will follow its lead, being so completely in its power? We realize this, and the mere realization is something done towards the accomplishment of an ideal life in a world of cleanliness and beauty. System is one of the finest tools in existence with which to build one's life into something worthwhile. The body must be run on a system as well as the mind. The stomach must not be overloaded with unnecessary food. The lungs must not be filled with impure air. The nerves must not be worn threadbare in riotous and ridiculous living. The muscles must be kept in trim with consistent exercise of the proper sort. We must recognize the wants, the needs of the physical system, and see that they are supplied." Roosevelt, perhaps more than any other living man to-day, has given vitality to the supreme necessity of cleanliness of mind and body. He has, by reason of his great prominence, been able to emphasize these two vital essentials. He called a spade a spade, and his message went far. For those who knew the value of his words came nods of approval. Others took heed. From boyhood he has systematized his life, taking the exercise needed, filling his mind with the learning of the world, winning when others would have failed, profiting by experience allotted to him through fate's kindly offices and association with the healthy, true men. What has been the result? He has risen to the very pinnacle of human endeavor. No honors await him. He has lived consistently and cleanly, and he can look any man in the eye and say honestly, I have lived as I have believed. It is not necessary to become president in order to live sanely to gain from circumstances the fruits that are ours for the asking, and which have fallen into Roosevelt's hands with such profusion. We cannot all become presidents, but we can all emulate a shining example of mental and bodily morale. Just as we plunge into the cold water in the early morning, so should we regularly, during the day, plunge into the society of those whose splendid enthusiasm is helping to make the world a better place to live in. They are the kind who go into the struggle with heads high and with clean hearts. Their eyes see beyond the daily toil of life. They are in touch with the big things and it is up to us to keep step with them. They want us and they will give us the glad hand. All they want to know is whether our courage is equal to our ambitions and whether our house of life is kept in good order. And so we journey along together in all good nature, not forgetting to laugh as we live. End of chapter 8